Yo, welcome back to the Josh Love Jesus podcast. This is part two of a two-part series on John chapter one of the holiness and humility of Jesus. This talk super blessed me and I hope it blesses you as well. Enjoy. Okay, let's keep on going. Let's, 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 keep, let's keep it moving. Let's keep it moving. All right, so now that we covered the holiness of God, let's lean into the humility of God. And I want to kind of just really focus in on the last phrase, full of grace and truth. He's not just full of truth, he's also full of grace. And this is important. One way I like to phrase it, he's not only is full of grace and truth, but he is full of humility and he is fully holy. He is truth. He is everything right. He is what it should be, what, and he is those things, everything perfect. He's ne- he has no need to grow, evolve, transform, change, because he's always has been, will be, and is perfect. But not only is he fully holy, he is full of humility, he's full of grace. And I'm so thankful that he is both, because if he was just holy, he would be righteous, he would be holy, but we humans would have no chance at it. Because what business does a holy God have with unholy men and women? But because he's not only fully holy, but full of humility, he sent his son down to earth. And his son came in the likeness of man and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. And came as a bondservant, it says in in Philippians 2. So because not only is he fully holy, holy, but he's full of humility. Not only is he holy, but he gives us a chance and the right, the option to have the right to become children of God and co-heirs of him. That's crazy to me. That is amazing to me. And yet though he's both those things and verse five, it says the world did not recognize him. Well, why did the world not recognize him? A big reason why the world did not recognize Jesus was because they thought Jesus would look different would be different, would act different. They did not expect holiness to look like humility. They did not expect the king of the universe to come down as a child. They did not expect that. They didn't prefer that. They didn't presume that, but he did that. And it was different than what they thought. And therefore they missed it. Sometimes I'm like that with God. I'm like, God, I have, I'm, I need you. I want you. And I want you to do at this time at this way, with these people, I, have, I don't just give God a request. I give him a request and a recipe to go along with it. <laughs> I'm like, God, not only do I think I need to eat um, some pie tonight, I want it made this way. And here are the instructions to make my pie. I want not too much wait time. I definitely don't want to go in the oven with the heat. Like, uh, Let's avoid all heat. So I want my raw pie. <laughs> I don't want it cooked at all. I want it to be instant, uncooked, and taste great. And so, God, I need a pie right now. I need a pie for dinner and I need it made this way with this recipe. And um, that's just not how it works. Like, we're, like, my wife is an amazing chef. I will unapologetically, unapologetically say she is the best chef in the world. Am I biased? Definitely. I am more than biased. I am in love with this woman. But on top of that, unbiasedly, she is the best cook ever. Okay, it's a double Biased and unbiasedly, she's the best, okay? <laughs> and so when she makes food, it's always the best version of that food I've ever had before. She made this chicken recently, this punkle breaded chicken. I'm Punkle is like a Japanese thing. I'm Japanese. She's Mexican. And that was better than any Japanese punkle chicken I've ever had. I'm Literally, it's amazing. Taquitos, best taquitos I've ever had. She has, I, I like to tell me everybody that she has made me 
Mexican in law because I am in love with Mexican food, Mexican food, Mexican culture. I tell everyone, I though I'm not Mexican by birth, I'm Mexican in marriage and by law. And therefore, here is my invisible Mexican license card. And I, just, I hold my hand up like this. And no one really seems to believe me, but I'm like, hey, we walk by faith and by sight. Here you go. <laughs> faith is a substance of things hoped. When she, some, there's some days that she is has a hard day. She come she whether she's with a bite all day or she went into work in the office that day. So on those days I feel like as a husband I want to offer to cook. So I say, hey babe, is there any way I, I can cook dinner for you today? I can, can I cook dinner for us today. I know the recipe. I'll just follow them along. I can just I can just put I measure it off with the teaspoons and the cups. Even though I hate doing that, I can do it. And she'll say, honey, she she calls me honey. Honey. I even have it tattooed right here. Honey. That's her handwriting, by the way. It's not, it's not just, honey, it's her handwriting that was on a post-it. I gave it to the tattoo artist. It's right on my arm. Pretty cool. Honey, I don't want you to cook because I don't want another reason to be upset. <laughs> I'm like, what? She's like, I'm already having a hard day. I want another reason to be mad because I know it's not going to be that, as good as how I cook. I'm like, you know what, babe? You are right. It's not going to be as good. But And she says, just let me cook. So I'm like, okay, just cook. So I, I let her cook. And there's other days that sometimes when she wants to cook something for me, I'm like, oh, this is amazing. She's like, hey, 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 honey, hey, honey, right, the tattoo. What do you want for dinner? Or what do you want for your birthday? And I say, babe, chef's choice. Because I don't cook as good as you. I don't know how to cook like you. And I don't even know Pinterest like you to find these recipes. I don't know. So you choose the recipe and you do it how you want to do it. Because I know it'll come up best that way. I trust you. You got, and you know what? I'm never disappointed. Jesus, on the other hand, I seemingly don't trust like that sometimes. Like with Jasmine, I'll say, chef's choice. You pick the recipe, you pick the dish, you got this. With God, I'll say, here's a recipe, and here's the dish I need right now. God, I need this. I know I, this is what I want, and this is how I want you to make it. And I seem to put more faith in the recipe than in the chef. This is not to say now that God doesn't want our requests, but it is to say we should not put our faith in the recipe. We should put more of our faith in Jesus, in the chef. You know the meme that's going around or that, or that went around a couple years ago or last year? Let him cook. Right? We let him cook and say, God, here's my request, but I don't even know that's the dish I need right now. And definitely, I don't know how to cook it like you do. I don't know if it needs to rise, how long it needs to wait. You know these things. I don't. So God, I'm going to let you cook. Here's my request. Here's my recipe. But those are suggestions. And if you don't follow my recipe and if you don't meet my request, I'm trusting that you are doing something better because your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And that, but when we don't have that, we can miss what God's cooking because we expected him to cook something else or we preferred for him to cook something else and to cook it a different way. And that's exactly what happened with Jesus. The Jews wanted a Messiah. They definitely wanted a Messiah. They definitely wanted a Savior. But they wanted, him to save, they wanted a Savior who would save them from the Romans, not from sin and death. And they wanted their king and, their, and the Messiah to be powerful and ruling and this king of kings, not the servant of all, the servant of servants. And because Jesus did not meet their presumptions and their preferences and their expectations, they were blind to the light that shined. Though he did a perfect, a holy thing, 
they didn't expect that recipe. They expect Jesus to have so much humility. And how often am I those people? Am I that person who God is cooking an amazing dish and he's doing an amazing thing, perfectly what I need, but I am missing it because it does not meet my preferences, my presumptions, or my expectations. Man. That is so often me. I'm like, God, I want a miracle and do the miracle in a miraculous way. And God says, actually, I'm going to make it like Jesus. He's, he's going to take 30 years to grow. He, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna be so humble. And yet my most humble work is going to be my most holy work. Ooh. And it looks so mundane, but it's the most miraculous thing to ever walk this face of this earth. That is God in human flesh, the incarnation. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's saying, we think and we work differently. You know that term, built different? God builds different. He builds differently than we expect, we want, but it's not just different, it's better. And sometimes we might think it's too humble, but it's actually higher. As the heavens are higher than the earth. How about this? Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that works within us. God can do more than we ask or imagine. We like that part, right? But the part I don't like is the part that is not what we ask or imagine. I, I want you to do what I ask. I want to kind of be able to imagine, understand what you're doing and, and kind of have imagined. Like I see, I think, what this is leading. Man, like on a very small scale with my podcast episode, like I, I, I can't imagine any reason for this. <laughs> or bigger scale, when I was homeless for, for six years, seven total, but the, the first six was the hardest. Like I can't imagine what's the purpose of this. I didn't ask for this. I don't imagine a, a reason for this. If God ha- promised to always meet my expectations, he would not be able to keep his promise to exceed them. And God, what God is saying here is what faith is, is not an confident expectation on what I'll do. It's a confident expectation in who I am. Right? It's not, it's not what faith is, is not a confident expectation in what God will do for me. Faith is a confident expectation in who he is, regardless of me, regardless of what I do. Right? When we hear the term, I ever heard the term prayer changes things. I have, I've seen it in Hobby Lobby, seen it on Instagram, seen it on Twitter or now X, odd. I've seen it around. I believe in it too. But when it comes down to the core reason, the foundational reason, the first reason why we should pray should not be because prayer changes things. Because what happens then when we pray and nothing changes and we keep praying and nothing changes? Now, this is played all over the Bible. You have Hannah who prayed and prayed and prayed. You have Abraham who prayed and prayed and prayed. And as they prayed, nothing changed. He did Sarah didn't give birth right away. Neither did Hannah. What's going on? Jericho walking around seven days, praising, doing what God said. Nothing's happening. God, what? What's the point? What? Well, the our the reason why we pray, the faith we have when we pray, first and foremost, is not that prayer changes things or that things will change, but it's that He is not changing, that He is unchanged, that He is always holy that he is always perfect, that he is always compassionate, that he is always just. And that means regardless of what I see happening, he is responding perfectly to my prayer. He is not late. He's not lazy. He's not lacking. He's not too fast. He is perfect. He is holy. 
That is where my faith lies. That whether I see things changing or not changing, he is unchanging in the fact that he is perfect, holy, fully in control, full of compassion, humble, all those things. And therefore, whether I see it or not, I can know who he is and believe that he is working in the open doors and behind the closed doors. And I think a great test of our faith is, can we keep our confidence in him when God disappoints our expectations we had for him? And in the sense of, God, I thought you were going to do this this way. I thought you would come through. I thought you would do this. And I think this is why it's important to not put our faith in on put our faith on what he will do, but to put our faith in who he is. That's the place to put it. That he is the word, that he is the light. That I don't always I won't always perceive the light. It's like the people here didn't always, didn't comprehend the light, didn't perceive grasp it. I won't always see his light, but can I just believe he is the light, period. Regardless of what I see. And if I don't see it, it's not because he stopped shining, because I'm blind. I didn't see it. I can't see it. Can we be people like that? That that is what people of faith are. And that's what God's calling me to. That's what God's calling us to. And often I think we are people that expect God to plant trees and not seeds. But God says in Matthew 13, 31 to 32, he told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. That's the smallest of seeds, right? Which he planted in a field. And though it's the smallest of seeds, there it is, yet when it grows, it is the largest garden plant and becomes a tree. So the birds come and nest in its branches. The miracle of the mustard seed is not at the rate of growth. It's in the potential size of what it can grow into. The mustard seed does not grow faster than other trees. It grows at the same speed as other trees, but it can become bigger from the smallest to the biggest. And God says the kingdom of heaven, the way I work is like that. Doesn't mean he doesn't sometimes just do the miraculous. He does that too. You see that all the time in the scripture, but he's often going to plant seeds. And I think sometimes we miss we expect God to plant a tree. God, where's my joy? God, where's my direction? I, I want a word from God. Boom, where is that? God, boom. And so God's like, instead of just giving you a word, like a fish, I'm going to teach you how to fish and, and instill wisdom in you. And wisdom is not formed and necessarily always having a word, but it's knowing what to do by God's word, by his word, when I don't have this direct word for my situation. How do I apply this word, this biblical word, uh, when I don't have a personal word? Well, that's going to take wisdom, right? And God says, maybe instead of, giving you just the fish, giving you just the provision, I'm going to transform you. I'm going to give, I'm going to change you to person. But sometimes God can, the, the miracle is that God's in human flesh. That's the incarnation. But then when he's on in human flesh, he's doing ordinary things. But he's growing up like an ordinary kid. Jesus can't be the son of God, like his hometown said of Nazareth, because we know his mother and father. We saw him grow up among us. He can't, that, he is so mundane. He is so average. There's no way he's God. But in fact, he is the walking, breathing God in human flesh, the most miraculous thing to ever happen on earth. And I think it's important for us to recognize that it's not always the process that's miraculous. It's the power that's miraculous. By going back to that verse we just read earlier in Ephesians, according to his power at work within us, he's going to do exceedingly more, immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power at work within us. In us. That's not around us or on us, within us. And that means that amazing, incredible, eternal power can use ordinary and everyday processes and do something extraordinary. If you're tired here today, Jesus says, come to me, 
Matthew 11 and 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus is fully humble and yet full of humility. And when he highlights why the hurting and the heavy laden or the, the people carry, carrying heavy burdens should come to him, he highlights his humility. Humility is to, according to the Bible, is to prefer others as more important than yourself. Who else is more important than Jesus? No one. The, all things are made through him and for him. Colossians 1.16. John 1, right? We just read here that all things are made through him. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And yet he died for the people he made. The creator was killed for his creation and by his creation. And he rose from the dead, proving that he's not just full, full of humility, but fully holy, conquering all things, right? But let's sit with this for a moment. The, fact, the, the invitation of come to me, he doesn't say because I'm holy. He says because, or I'm powerful. He says because I'm humble in heart. And one of the most common responses when it comes to people who are living in sin or struggling with sin or just hurting is that I can't bring it to God because I feel too unclean, too dirty. And God says, remember who you're talking to here. I am the one that's humble in heart. I'm selfless, self-sacrificing. I'm the essence of those things. So come to me. And if you carry hairy burdens, I will give you rest. And the way I'm giving you rest is by actually you, by taking my yoke upon you. And I said, what's a yoke? Well, a yoke is what? It was a piece of wood that would tie two oxen together and allow a farmer to drive them. So I was like, wait, what, wait, I'm tired though. I'm carrying heavy burdens. So you can take my burden and put another burden on my back. What, what does this mean? How does that rest for my soul? Well, it relates very closely to Isaiah. Right? In Isaiah, there's that very popular verse, Isaiah 40, 30 to 31, that even the youths grow weary and tired and young men stumble and fail. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They should walk and not faint. Like we say, God, I want that strength. I want that resilience. I want that rest. I want that renewal. Well, the the Hebrew word for weight is kava. It's very fitting because when I, when I think of this passage, I think of eagles, right? Mountain about wings like eagles, like aka, aka. But <laughs> it's actually the Hebrew word for weight is not aka, but kava or kava. Not kava, that's a different thing. That's, that's a Mediterranean place. Kava. And what kava means is to be tied by intertwining or twisting. So to kava on the Lord is to be tied by twisting to him. So when we're tied to him, we'll find renewal, we'll find rest. Because see, you might say, well, I, what I need right now is not to be tied to him. I need to be tied to the ground. Like, let, let me lay down. I, said, well, I, I, need, I thought that means it was rest, to lay down. Well, the thing is, there's a difference between relaxing and rest. And this is why sometimes you can do all the relaxing things and be physically rested and even mentally rested, but have and have no rest and be exhausted and tired in your soul. Because it works like this. There is the physical and then the mental and emotional, then there's the spiritual. And it works like in that order. The surface being the physical and the deepest part being the spiritual. Right? Because this is and when you shake the lower one, the ones above move. For instance, you can be physically strong, but if you're emotionally or mentally in a dark place, it doesn't matter how strong you are physically, you're not going to be able to use that mental, that physical strength because of your mental state. 
right? There's a plenty of people who be physically capable and strong, but tied to their bed because of the mental state they're in. If you've been there before, if you're there, I'm so sorry. I know what that's like. I've seen it. I've lived with it. And it's so hard. And you know very, very personally how true, how important it is to be mentally and emotionally clear. But when, when you're not, it doesn't matter how you are physically. When that lower part is shaking, that top part is shaking as well. Well, even more so is the spiritual. Because if you're spiritually shaken, if you're spiritually empty, you're going to be emotionally mentally and physically moved as well. The most pure sense is going to be hell or heaven. But when you're, that's all dependent not on your mental or physical or, or emotional state. That's all fully dependent on your spiritual state. That's like the biggest, most clearest representation of it. But all throughout life, you'll find these moments when you have this emptiness, right? And that's not because it's emotional or physical or mental. It's because spiritually you're missing God. And this is why even as Christians, I find we should not just be look, seeking to move people mentally or moving people or to, or to be moved mentally or emotionally or intellectually or even just physically just do things. Like I'm just going to do things for God or I'm just going to learn things about God or I just want to feel things about God. But say, God, by your spirit, would you move me? Because when you move me by your spirit, those other areas will follow. There's plenty of times we can learn about God, but that won't change my love for him at all unless God moves me by, by his spirit. And I think what we're missing is not, I need to hear the right verse or I need to watch, watch, listen to the right podcast or read the right, or have, have the right church. It's just, God, I, I need your spirit. I, I need to be right in your spirit. I need to be made right by your spirit. And when that happens, God can even use a poor sermon. God can even use a poor podcast. God can even use a, a, a scripture that you don't, you don't really fully understand and move us because it's his spirit that's moving us. Anyway. Back to this passage though. So when we're tied to him, that is where we'll find rest. Not always relaxation, but we'll find rest for our souls. And that is what we desperately need. Not relaxation, but rest. There was, I think when I was a teenager, I used to sleep on a temperpedic bed because my parents needed it and they got rid of it and they gave it to me. And that's like expensive, like thousands of dollars of bed. And yet when I laid in that bed, I was in dark places mentally and emotionally because of what was going on in my family and my own mind. I had no rest in that bed. Fast forward about 10 years, I was homeless in the back of my car, my truck, sleeping on a dog bed. And yet, I remember that last year of being homeless, I was just doing well with the Lord. And I had more comfort on that dog bed than I had on that Tempur-Pedic. Not because that dog bed was any more comfortable. I could not extend my legs fully. I could. There was. It was not padded at all. It smelled. It was sweaty. The summer months was terrible in that car with no AC. Oh my gosh! But you know what? I had more comfort in my heart that I was less comfortable in that situation. Because why? My spirit was in a good place, and I've learned it's not about where I'm at physically or even mentally or emotionally, so where I'm at spiritually that matters the most is I'm saying, God, let me be someone who is tied to you. This is God, like the Psalm 23. Lord, whether you're lead, lead, making me lie down green pastures, may I lie down when you tell me to lie down, not be so preoccupied with moving that I can't lie down when you tell me to lie down or still waters. Yeah, let, but also when you lead me through the valley of the shadow of death, may I not be so tied to the green pasture that I lag or lose my good shepherd, but Lord, I'd rather be with my good shepherd in the valley of the shadow of death than on the green pasture without him. I'm, just, I'm not tied to a location. I'm tied to my Lord. I'm not tied to a situation. I'm tied to his spirit. 
I'm not tied. You see what I'm saying? And when we're tied to him like that, what, what does Psalm 23 say? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yeah, I might want to be in places. I might want to have a certain season. I might want to have such a situation. But in the end, it's better to be wanting in the area of situation and to be wanting and lacking maybe in the area of what, what your season of life than to be lacking your shepherd, lacking our shepherd, lacking my shepherd. And when we're tied to him, that is the place of rest. When we would say, I release the outcomes to you, but I'm going to remain obedient. I'm going to release my preferences. I'm going to release my presumptions. I'm going to release all those things, but I'm going to hold tightly to your presence. I'm going to hold tightly to your principles. I'm going to lean into prayer. If I don't have a, a personal word for me, I'm going to leave by the biblical word you've given me. I'm going to follow it and trust that, God, you are working behind closed doors. You are so holy and yet so humble that you don't always work and announce everything you do. He is humble, not to his shame, but to his glory. It says in Philippians 2, that passage, I keep quoting that, because he humbled himself to the point of death, he is highly exalted and given him the and given the name above every name. That because he was humble, he is highly exalted. God did not do a great thing be, despite his humility. God did a great thing because of his humility. He conquered sin and death not because he was oh he should not he was just too shy. No. God conquered sin and death because he was humble enough to die. And God will do holy works in humble ways as he did in his life and he will do in our lives. And may we say, God, you are humble and holy to your glory and not to your shame. Just because I don't understand it, I don't grasp it, I don't perceive it, does not mean you aren't shining. In fact, God, I'm going to believe whether I, whether I can see it with my own eyes or I'm blind to it, that you are shining, that you are the light. My faith is not on an expectation of what you might do. My expectation is who you are. And my prayer may not always result in things changing, but when I pray, you are unchanging and you are holy. You are perfect. You are good. That is the basis of why we pray. That is why we trust him. So that is the message. I honestly feel like this one here did not go as well as the other ones. I don't know. I hope it did go well. I'm going to cut it up and, and edit. I know this has gone way too long. But anyway, thank you for tuning in here. I hope it blessed you. LaCroix can't can hear. Almost. I got to finish it. It's done. Hope it blessed you. If there's anyone to give feedback, I would greatly appreciate it. Thanks for watching. I hope this blessed you. Hope this has been of some some way um, just helpful with your relationship with God, whether you know him or you don't know him. This is a podcast for you. I hope this one worked. I think this is, is going coming good through my ears. The $60 mic is treating me good. Yes. All right. Grace and peace. See you guys. And yo, that's a wrap. Part two is done. So coming back with another part, a new one soon. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please leave some feedback any way you can. Message, DM, comment. If you can share it or pass it along, that'd be amazing as well. But God bless you. Thank you for tuning in and have a great one. Peace.